Let's turn our attention to God's word this morning. And I want to ask you a question. Do you ever have difficulty believing Jesus? Do you ever have difficulty trusting him? Trusting in what he says. Trusting he meets you in your deepest need. Trusting that he sees. Trusting that he cares. Do you ever doubt that Jesus is really for you? As I scroll through my own Instagram page or my Facebook news feed, I see friends like uh, and um, a lot of ads now thanks to that wonderful algorithm change. But I see my friends and a lot of them have just amazing stories of faith and things in their life that they've overcome, really difficult struggles and trials and hardships. And they've just clung to Jesus in those things, believing in him and hoping in him. I still have other friends that when I'm scrolling through that Instagram or Facebook feed, I see that like they don't know Jesus at all and they're just kind of going about life, dealing with the various things that come up. Um, Some of them good, some of them bad. Oftentimes it's Instagram, so we see the best things. And still... I have a whole nother subset of friends, and I'm sure you do too, that maybe once professed faith in Jesus, but are no longer professing faith in him at all. They've kind of, maybe they've deconstructed or they've just slowly walked away. Maybe their life got really, really hard and they've just faded into the background. They had real pain and real brokenness. I don't want to minimize those things. And so they drifted. And sometimes we feel that deep pain, that deep sorrow, that deep brokenness in our lives, and it makes it hard to trust Jesus. Well, this morning, we're going to see Jesus heal two daughters in two very different circumstances of life. And we're going to see that those desperate for Jesus are those safest with him. That those who are desperate for Jesus in their deepest and darkest pain and in their deepest need are those safest with him. And that Jesus is inviting us to a faith that is just all in in trusting him with the promise that he will be with us. So would you turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 8. We're going to read verses 40 through 56 together. Hear these words. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Just then, a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue He fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house because he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. While he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. Someone did touch me, Jesus said. 
I know that power has gone out from me. When, when, when the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. When Jesus heard it, he answered him, don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be saved. After he came to the house, he let no one enter with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Everyone was crying and mourning for her, but he said, stop crying because she is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him because they knew she was dead. So he took her by the hand and called out, child, get up. Her spirit returned and she got up at once. Then he gave orders that she be given something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you say that we are your people, the flock under your care. You love us and you care for us. And that's why we gather together to be reminded of that love. And you shepherd us and lead us with your word. So God, as we together look at your word, Lord, would you convict our hearts? Would you turn them towards Jesus? And would you help us to love you more because you love us first? In Jesus' name, amen. To walk through our passage this morning, we have three points as usual. The first is two cries, two cries. The story of Jesus healing two daughters. So we see two cries. And cry one begins with the man Jairus. The passage starts out, Jesus is arriving back into Galilee, and you get a sense that there, that the people, it says in the text that people are waiting for him. They're expecting him to come back. And you can get a sense that it's all of this commotion. You can imagine, like if you see like famous people walk out of a public building and the crowds are there and like the barricades have been popped up, like you get a sense that that's what it's like. There's people there with their cameras. I got a picture of Jesus. And Jesus, he just can't get a break. Like he gets off the boat and there are people there. And in the middle of all these crowds walks in Jairus. He pushes his way through and he, he fights his way to the front of the crowds and gets Jesus' attention and we see the first cry because Jairus is the dad and he's the dad of one daughter and she is dying at home. And those of you with children know a little bit of the pain of watching a child get sick. If you've ever had a kid sick at home with the fever or the flu or whatever. Like, it's sad. It's sad. You feel bad for your kid. I remember when Gavin had COVID back in October. Like, he just slept all day. My four-year-old, who I normally can't contain, like, is now just asleep and just sick. And it's sad. And that doesn't even touch the pain that Jairus must feel as his daughter is dying at home. And he comes to Jesus. And he must have heard that Jesus has, has healed people in the past, so he comes. 
and tells Jesus about his dying daughter, believing that he can do it again. But there's another interesting fact that our text mentions about Jairus, and that is that he is a synagogue leader. As the leader of the synagogue, Jairus would have been esteemed in the community. He would have been responsible for making sure that the service happened right. He would have arranged the the people to read and and so forth and so on. He was kind of a, a key figure in the religious life of that community. And he was made low because of his need. So how does Jesus respond to all this? Well, Jesus goes. He's like, okay, I'm going to go heal Jairus' daughter. And on his way, the crowds could not be more relentless. And have you ever been somewhere where the crowds are just so overwhelming? Like I remember, I don't know, five, six years ago, Nicole and I made the mistake of going to the 4th of July fireworks at the Esplanade in Boston and taking the train home. And so I remember the feeling like with so many people that we were just like shuffling onto the subway and you didn't even have to hold on because there were just so many people crammed in there that when it stopped real abrasively, everyone just went. (laughs) And you get a, this is what the crowds are like. They're just pressing in on Jesus. And there is a woman that says, and she is a bleeding woman, and she fights her way through all of that, and she finds the end of Jesus' robe, and she touched it, and verse 45 says that instantly her bleedings stopped. And from these two accounts, I want us to see something very much in common about faith. There's three things. Real faith is low, Real faith is desperate, and real faith is pleading. Real faith is low. Notice that these accounts layer on a repeated theme of the gospel of Luke. That to come to Jesus, we need to be made low. Physically low. We need to to remember that he is Lord. We come to Jesus for who he is. The Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, he was made low before Jesus as he bowed down before him and pleaded with him. He's a leader and he brings nothing to the table with Jesus. And this woman, she was made low as she approached Jesus and grabbed that very end of his tassel for healing. She crawls through that crowd to grab hold of that tassel. To come to Jesus, real faith is low. It, it recognizes who Jesus is and, and agrees with Jesus that he is who he says he is, that he comes to seek and to save the lost and the least and the low. And so we make ourselves low as we approach Jesus. Real faith is low and real faith is desperate. We see in both of these accounts that both of these people are super desperate. Jairus is desperate. He is out of options. He's, he's a prominent man who's probably exhausted all of his options and he, he's got Jesus left to heal his dying daughter at home. He is desperate. He pleads. He's bowing. He's scared. And this woman, 
She's, diff- she's desperate for a whole other set of reasons. She's bleeding and broke, and she's also out of options. She's at the end of herself. She's sick. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She spent, text says, everything she had on doctors. She's got nothing left. And this bleeding, while uncomfortable to talk about, is, is, makes her a societal outcast. Because in, in Old Testament ceremonial law, in like these Old Testament customs, back in the first part of your Bible, they're laid forth all of these ceremonial laws. And one of them is that if you're bleeding, you're unclean. And you're kind of put out from worshiping. You're kind of put out from your community. You're, you're set aside. Leviticus says that when a woman has a discharge and it consists of blood from her body, she will be unclean. And it goes on to say that everyone who touches her would also be unclean. This poor lady, out of options, broke, cast aside by society. She comes to Jesus desperate. And she's been an outsider for 12 years. Like, We did like 14 days to stop the spread where we had to isolate and we nearly lost our minds, right? And she's she's been societally isolated for 12 years and she comes to Jesus desperate. And real faith is pleading. Real faith is desperate. But real faith also runs to Jesus because friends, when you're at your lowest, the temptation will be to run to lots of other things. The temptation can be to question Christ and his love for us. But real faith runs to Jesus with the pain. She runs to Jesus in, in the middle of all these crowds. And, it's, and he runs to Jesus because he is desperate. And then the story slows way down. What will Jesus do? And that's the question we'll answer with this next point, two responses. Like I said, the story slows way down. What's fast, you know, Jesus arrives off of, off of the boat in Galilee, and then, and then um, you know, these crowds are all over the place. Jairus presses, presses in, says, can you come to my house, heal my daughter? They start walking towards Jairus' house. This woman touches his robe, but then Jesus stops the story and he gets interrupted and he's willing to be interrupted by this woman. Jesus is fine with interruptions. They don't throw him off. You who mothers, fathers, you know what it's like to be interrupted regularly when you try to have an adult conversation in your house and it doesn't go happen or it takes three times as long because you get interrupted by little voices, right, in your house. If you're at work, your life is interrupted by emails sometimes or meetings. But Jesus is interrupted and he just kind of keeps moving on with it. He doesn't lose a beat. And if you're Jairus's, 
Jairus right now, you're freaking out. Like a text never says what he does in this, but I can imagine he comes to Jesus pleading and he's like, I got a dying daughter at home. She's my only kid. Can you come? And then they're on their way and Jesus is like, somebody touched me and all these people. And I imagine Jairus is, he's, he's getting nervous, but he hasn't forgotten about Jairus's daughter. And I love Peter in the passage too. Jesus is like, somebody touched me. And Peter's like, Lord, there are people everywhere. I'm sure someone did. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Somebody touched me. I felt power go out from me. And finally, a woman comes forward in verse 47. It says, when the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The woman comes, realizing that, oh, I gotta come forward. Jesus knows. And I don't know what was going through her head. I don't know if she was thinking like, man, is he gonna take away my healing? I don't know any of that. I don't know if she's bowing just because he knows, she knows that he's Lord. Text doesn't say. But what does Jesus do in this very moment? He calls her daughter. Jesus sees an isolated person far out from the community, pushed aside by the religious people. And he calls her his daughter. Jesus is like a good doctor, friends, who sees and knows exactly what we need in the moment of our deepest need. You know when you go to the doctor and you get sick and you go to your, like you go to your PCP and I'm like, I'm having these symptoms and your PCP says, I can't actually do anything about it. You're going to need to go see names of specialists. Well, Jesus is not like your PCP. He is more like the specialist that sees exactly what's going on with you and responds with healing exactly the way that you need it. He responds to this isolated woman with a word that says that she is family, right right at the beginning of her text, of our, of our text, he says, um, the first words come out of his mouth are daughter. And I want us to see just kind of what Luke is doing in this, because you got Jairus still standing there. And what's really interesting about the text is it's likely that Jairus, as the synagogue leader, would have been the very person to tell her she was not welcome. What is Jesus doing? And Jesus calls her daughter. And what he does is he restores her to peace. Look at what Jesus does. He identifies her. He calls her daughter. At the beginning of of Luke 8, after we did the parable of the sower, it said, Jesus said, my mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of God. Jesus says that she is family. What did she do? She simply came to him. She believes in him, and this belief led her to do the will of God, and that starts with coming to Jesus. Jesus also 
honors her faith. Look at what he says. He says, your faith has made you well. All this woman did was touch the tassel on his garment. And it wasn't the quality of her faith that saved her. It wasn't, she didn't save herself. It wasn't the quality of her faith that saved her, but the object of her faith that saved her. It wasn't about how much faith she had in Jesus that got her healing. It was about how strong her Jesus was to heal her disease. And all she did was come to him and touch his garment. And Jesus also restores her peace. He restores her peace to God and her peace to the world around her. Jesus could have let this woman touch the hem of his garment and go back into the crowds. But instead, he invites her to come forward. And that had to feel really risky for her. Because she probably shouldn't have even been there in the first place, according to the customs of the time. But Jesus invites her forward. And in the inviting her forward, in, her, in his declaring her daughter, and in acknowledging her faith, and in having her proclaim her own healing, Jesus is simultaneously restoring her to right relationship with God and right relationship to the world around her. She was now free and at peace. And Jesus, he isn't made unclean by the woman, but instead he makes the woman clean. If you remember what I said earlier, anyone who would have touched her at the time would have been considered unclean. That would have included priests. But when Jesus comes, he makes the unclean clean. Jesus restores her to peace, peace with God and peace to the world. And friends, brothers and sisters, here's one of the things I think we should get from this. We can come to Jesus. This woman may have been repulsive to, to the broader society, but she wasn't repulsive to Jesus. She was a person, and Jesus saw her. Friends, whatever you carry with you, whatever amount of shame or guilt or fear that you, that you feel for the things that you've done, for the things in your past, for, for anything, for the, no matter what you feel, you can, you can come before Jesus and he is not repulsed by you. You are not going to make him dirty because he makes unclean things clean. And when you come to Jesus like this woman, and when you come to Jesus like Jairus, Jesus' first words for you are not, it's about time. What took you so long? You know, your life is a mess. Jesus' first words for you are like this woman, daughter, son, brother, sister. You can come to him. 
You can come to him when you feel like your faith is barely hanging on. You can come to him desperate because that's what real faith does. You can come to him low and confused and hurting and know that he is enough and he will not turn you away. Because it's not your faith that holds you close to Jesus. It is Jesus that holds you. All this is going on, you can imagine Jairus. He's in distress. He's still got his daughter at home. This is a moving scenario, Jesus, but, but I, got, I still got a daughter at home. And then the worst happens. Someone from his house shows up and says, she's gone. She passed away. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And I mean, I don't know what Jairus was feeling at the time, if he was just full on numb or if he just completely broke down in the time. But Jesus looks at him, makes eye contact, says, don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be saved. So they get to the house. People are crying and wailing and weeping. There would have been people hired as like professional mourners there which is weird in our culture, but that was a thing back then. And Jesus gets James, Peter, and John, and the parents, and they they go into the house to the little girl. And Jesus sees all the people crying, and he says, don't cry. She's asleep. And they laugh at him, because they know full well that she's dead. But you see, friends, What's dead to everyone else in the presence of Jesus is merely a nap because he has power over death. He has power over the woman's sickness. And Jairus and his wife, they hold on to whatever faith they have left. Maybe they're holding their dead daughter's hand. And Jesus says, child, get up. And she does. And you can imagine the joy that comes over his parents. And then, then I love this. Um, Jesus says, okay, now get her something to eat too. And, and, you know, and then he says, don't tell anyone about this because he wants her to, to attend to the needs he, rather than just go make a proclamation of what Jesus did. Like tend to the needs of your daughter now. They'll, they'll soon discover that she's alive. Jesus heals her. And what are we to make of all of this? Well, friends, faith, real, desperate faith, restores us to peace with God, and it also restores us to life with him. And that brings us to a final point this morning, because we've had two cries, we've had two responses, but it's all about one Jesus. Because there's something really beautiful woven into the text about the person of Jesus. And that is Jesus, in his own mysterious way, offers himself in exchange for whatever is going on at the time. He offers himself for whatever ails us. 
for those who come to him in desperate faith. He doesn't minimize our circumstances. He doesn't minimize our sin. But he doesn't lay on guilt. But instead, in our unique struggles, challenges, and circumstances of life, Jesus meets us exactly where we are and offers us himself in exchange for the thing that is causing us pain or sorrow or fear or shame or guilt. Jesus steps into the room with Jairus and his dead daughter. And just like that, he steps into our own lives and whatever we're going through. Jesus, Jesus calls forth the woman to, to, to make herself known. And he is with her in that moment. And he offers her to give to, would you just give her him your pain in exchange for his healing. And that's what Jesus does with her. That's what Jesus does with Jairus's daughter. And he calls us that to come to him and realize that we can bring to him whatever we're afraid of, whatever we're ashamed of, whatever we feel guilty about, and he will take that on himself and he will give us him in the process so that we can find healing and meaning and hope in him. He offers to bear all of that upon himself. And in exchange, he gives us peace and he gives us life. He takes on her brokenness. He takes on her sickness. He takes on Jairus' daughter's death and gives wholeness in its place. In chapter 8, we've seen that the kingdom is like spreading seed that falls all over the place and that it falls on good soil and that good soil are those who do what he says. We've seen that those who do what he says are his family. And we've seen him calm storms. Earlier in chapter 8, the disciples are freaking out because Jesus is asleep while there's this massive storm coming on the boat. Jesus quiets the storms. We've seen him deliver a demon-possessed man with a word. And we've seen him heal an outcast woman and call her family And we've seen her take a dead girl and bring her to life again. And we've seen him say to this girl, to this woman, call her daughter because to do his will starts with just coming to him. And friends, this is our Jesus. This is the Jesus that Luke has been trying to paint for us in these past eight chapters. The one who comes to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to release the oppressed. He is the Jesus that is sovereign over everything, that, that controls the winds and the waves, and they obey him, that, that can heal sicknesses, that can... That can do away with death, that can calm our deepest fears. This is the Jesus that Luke is inviting us to place our faith in, to believe that no matter what happens, that those who come to him in desperate faith are somehow still safe with Jesus because he's taken all of that on himself to give us life. So friends, what do you carry this morning? What are the things that you have fear about? What are the things that you're afraid of? 
What are the difficulties that you're facing? What do you feel ashamed of? He can be trusted with those things. You can bring them to him. He will not turn you away. His heart is too loving, too compassionate. No matter what you face this morning, the Jesus that appeared to this woman and healed her and the Jesus that healed Jairus' daughter is the Jesus that calls us to himself. We can call out to him in desperate faith. We can call out to him when we just don't understand. We can call out to him when our faith seems like to barely hold on. We can call out to him with the sins that we struggle with. We can name them before him and he won't push us away. We can call out to him with the pain that we experience or the suffering that we face and know that he is still the Jesus that controls the waves and the wounds and somehow will raise us to life anew with him. Surely he carried our sorrows upon himself so that we could have peace, so that we could have life, so that we could exchange our fears, our shame, and our guilt for peace, for honor, and for innocence before God. This is the life that Jesus wants for us. And he invites us to turn and come to him. Lo, come to him pleading and come to him desperate and know that somehow in it all, you are safe with Jesus.